Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratty. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. He doesn't have a bipartisan bill. Nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, June 17, 2014. Last week was a busy week with numerous affordable housing and community development events in Washington, D.C. On the New Market Tax Credit front, Novogratik held its annual D.C. New Market Tax Credit Conference, which had over 600 attendees and a keynote address by Congressman Pat Tiberi. The New Market Tax Credit Coalition also held their conference, as well as other events. On the low-income housing tax credit front, the Affordable Housing Tax Credit Coalition and the Housing Advisory Group held events, and the National Housing Conference had their annual dinner and conference as well. With that as background, I'll begin this week by discussing the end of Eric Cantor's tenure as House Majority Leader and what that could mean for tax reform and other tax-related matters. In our New Market Tax Credit segment, I'll share a report from the New Market Tax Credit Coalition about the use of the New Market Tax Credit in 2013. I'll also discuss an emergency rule from Kentucky that addresses recent changes to the Kentucky New Market Tax Credit State Program. In this week's low-income tax credit section, I'll discuss support for legislation that creates a permanent 9% floor for the low-income housing tax credit program. I'll also discuss the passage in the House of a U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development Fiscal Year 2015 Appropriations Bill, as well as an upcoming webcast from the Office of Taxes and Bonds. In historic tax credit news, I have updates from Rhode Island and North Carolina and a reminder about an upcoming Novogratz and Company historic tax credit webinar. Finally, In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, I discuss guidance from the Internal Revenue Service that addresses sequestration, the Section 1603 cash grant program, and investment tax credits. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, I begin with the end of Eric Cantor's tenure as House Majority Leader and what it could mean for tax reform and other tax matters. Last week, as I'm sure you've heard, House Majority leader Eric Cantor was defeated by newcomer David Bratt in his Virginia District's Republican primary. Then on Wednesday, Representative Cantor said he'd be stepping down as House Majority Leader by July 31st. Speaker of the House John Boehner then announced that he would hold elections for the number two position in the House on June 19th. That's this Thursday. Those interested in becoming Majority Leader then had just over a week to build support within the party. While several names were tossed around as potential successors, by Friday, two congressmen had thrown their hats in the ring. Representative Kevin McCarthy of California, who is currently Majority Whip, and Representative Raul Labrador, a Tea Party Republican from Idaho. Representative McCarthy is considered the heavy favorite in the race. And as I mentioned, this Thursday, Republicans will vote, and it will be by paper ballot. Whoever receives the majority of the votes will become the next majority leader. And if Majority Whip Kevin McCarthy wins the majority leader spot, then the Republican caucus will need to elect a majority whip. The more competitive contest appears to be the majority whip contest. 
So what does this mean for tax legislation and other legislation regarding affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy? Also, what does this mean for tax reform? Well, in next week's podcast, we'll review the winning candidates' voting record as it applies to matters of particular interest to this podcast's regular listeners. And as I said, it does seem to be likely Kevin McCarthy. So tune in next week for more details on his voting record. Now, regarding tax reform, as well as other matters, the House Majority Leader chooses what legislation will be considered by the full House. Therefore, tax bills, including tax extenders and tax reform bills, will not be brought to the House floor unless they have the Majority Leader's support. This obviously means that the Majority Leader's views on these matters are of critical importance. And as I mentioned, the election's two days away, and I'll tweet the results when they become available. And then next week, as I've mentioned, we'll bring you more information about the winning candidate and his voting record regarding key tax and non-tax related legislation. In New Market Tax Credit news, I have a report out from the New Market Tax Credit Coalition. Last week, the NMTC Coalition released its 2014 NMTC Progress Report, and they also had a congressional briefing on the report. Now, this report outlines how the New Market Tax Credit was used in calendar year 2013, and it describes the impact it had on economically distressed communities. This is the New Market Tax Credit Coalition's 10th annual NMTC Progress Report. The report describes the types of developments that the credit helped finance, the locations where investments were made, and the benefits those investments have had on low-income communities. The report highlights findings from the Coalition's 2014 Survey of Community Development Entities, or CDEs, that received new market tax rate allocations in the previous year. This year's survey was answered by 64 CDEs. The Coalition found that in 2013, 100% of new market tax credit investments were made in qualified low-income communities, 80% of NMTC investments were made in severely distressed communities, and 56% of new market tax credit investments were made in communities with unemployment rates at least one and a half times the national average. The report outlines how the new market tax credit affected the economy in 2013 in terms of job creation and investments made in local communities. For instance, nearly 55,000 jobs were created by projects closing in 2013, that consisting of more than 25,000 full-time jobs and more than 29,000 construction jobs. And total project financing reached almost $5 billion in 2013. Furthermore, CDEs reported nearly $3 billion in NMTC qualified projects or businesses in the pipeline for this year, 2014. The 2014 NMTC Progress Report also features a special section on creating economic opportunities in rural America. This special section or special report discusses the significant effect the New Market Tax Credit has had on rural communities in recent years. The report found that between 2003 and 2011, the NMTC program has delivered $3.5 billion in capital to non-metropolitan census tracts, and that has leveraged an additional $3.5 billion from other sources. These NMTC investments created more than 67,000 jobs, including nearly 47,000 full-time jobs and more than 20,000 construction jobs. Reports like this one are important to the tax credit community because they provide tangible evidence that the New Market Tax Credit Program is generating capital in low-income communities across the country. If you want to read the report, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. 
And if you have any questions, I encourage you to contact my partner, Diana Letzinger, in our Long Beach, California office. She can be reached at 562-432-9482. In state-level New Market Tax Credit news, I have an update from Kentucky. The Kentucky Administrative Regulation Review Subcommittee recently released an emergency administrative regulation that provides qualified CDEs with the forms and procedures for applying for and administering New Markets Development Program tax credits. This emergency notification is necessary because a bill enacted earlier this year made changes to the state's New Market Tax Credit program. Most notably, the bill increased the state's NMTC annual cap from $5 million to $10 million. The tax credit is now effective for taxable years beginning on or after January 1, 2014. Therefore, new administration forms needed to be released. Three forms are affected by this regulation, and they relate to certifying a qualified equity investment or QEI, providing evidence of the receipt of cash from a taxpayer in exchange for the taxpayer's QEI, and tax credit recapture. To view the forms, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. And for assistance with the Kentucky New Market Tax Credit, please contact my partner Annette Stevenson in Novogratz Cleveland office. Now, let's move on to low-income housing tax credit news. Last week, two former U.S. Senators voiced their support for a bill that would establish a fixed 9% floor for new affordable housing developments. It would create a fixed 4% floor for investments in existing properties financed with allocated tax credits. Former U.S. Senate Majority Leader George Mitchell and former U.S. Senator Christopher Kitt Bond issued a statement earlier this month asking the House Ways and Means Committee to support the bill. They said that the fixed 9% and 4% rates would give the marketplace much-needed certainty and would encourage more private investment in affordable housing. Former Senators Mitchell and Bond are co-chairs of the Bipartisan Policy Center Housing Commission. Remember, that's the same commission that recommended a 50% increase in the annual low housing tax credit allocating authority. Now, at the time of this recording, the House 9% floor bill had been sent to the Ways and Means Committee and had the support of 38 sitting members of the House of Representatives. We'll keep you posted on the status of the bill as updates become available. And in the meantime, you can find the text of H.R. 4717 and information about co-sponsors at our Affordable Housing Resource Center at www.taxcredithousing.com. And now, I'd like to update you on the House's fiscal year 2015 U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development funding discussions. As I mentioned in last week's podcast, the House planned to vote on the appropriations bill on June 10th. Well, that bill passed the House with a vote of 229 to 192. Overall, the bill is very similar to the bill passed by the Appropriations Committee last month. It has a funding level of a little more than $52 billion. It would provide $700 million for the home program. It would provide over $19 billion for the Housing Choice Voucher Program. And it would provide almost $10 billion for the Project-Based Section 8 Program. The bill also includes an amendment that prohibits HUD from using any funds to relocate asset management positions within the Office of Multifamily Housing. As I had mentioned in the April 15th podcast, reorganizing asset managers is part of an overhaul of the Office of Multifamily Housing. In theory, this amendment would stop that reorganization, but Congress has yet to approve that part of the plan anyway, so if enacted, it would have little immediate effect on HUD's plans. The bill also includes an amendment that prohibit HUD from issuing housing choice vouchers for more than 120% of fair market value rent, 
you'd like to learn more about the bill, which is H.R. 4745, please log on to www.taxcredithousing.com. You can also reach out to Peter Lawrence in Novogratz, Washington, D.C. office. I also have some information about an upcoming webcast on taxes and bonds. The IRS announced last week that the Office of Taxes and Bonds will host a free audio webcast this week. The new tax exempt bond director, Rebecca Harrigal, will discuss the office's new mission, operations, initiatives, and updates. The webcast will be held Thursday, June 19th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can register for the event at www.irs.gov. And meanwhile, if you have any questions about taxes and bonds in general, I encourage you to contact my partner, Jim Kroger, in our San Francisco office. You can reach Jim at 415-356-8000. In closing, I remind everyone that the National Council of State Housing Agencies will be in Chicago next week holding their annual Housing Credit Connect conference. I encourage you to come by the Novogratz booth. I'll be there as well as other representatives of Novogratz and company. I also encourage you to attend a couple of sessions that I'll be speaking at, one providing a legislative update and the other addressing the recent change in guidance for accounting for low housing tax credit investments under generally accepted accounting principles. If you have any questions about the conference, I encourage you to send an email to cpas at novoco.com. In historic tax credit news, I'd like to update you on a couple of state stories that we've been following for a number of months. In Rhode Island last week, the House passed a fiscal year 2015 budget that did not include an extension of funding for the historic tax credit program. Upon the House's passage of the budget, Grow Smart Rhode Island issued a statement asking the General Assembly to fast-track funding for the program for fiscal year 2015. It said that the lack of historic tax credit funding puts the 27 projects on the program's waiting list in jeopardy. The budget goes before the State Senate this week, and I'll share the outcome of that vote in next week's podcast. In North Carolina, the news is mixed. As you may recall from the June 3rd Tax Credit Tuesday podcast, North Carolina's historic tax credit expires at the end of this year. The governor proposed a plan to retain but alter the historic tax credit programs. That proposed plan was not embraced by the General Assembly. In fact, the original budget proposals in the House and the Senate did not include any historic tax credit programs. On June 11th, a House panel added the governor's proposal into its fiscal year 2015 budget. That budget then passed the House on Friday. Now, the Senate, however, has not added the governor's proposal to the budget bill that it passed in early June. The House budget bill will now go to the Senate, and if the Senate rejects the bill, a conference committee will work out a new version of a bill. The General Assembly plans to have a bill to the governor by the end of the month, according to certain sources. I'll keep you updated on the progress of the budget bills and the fate of North Carolina's historic tax credit in future podcasts. I'd also like to remind listeners about Novogratz's upcoming Historic Rehabilitation Tax Credits 101 webinar. It's going to be held on June 27th. The webinar provides an introduction to the Historic Tax Credit Program. It's an excellent refresher, as well as a way to expand the level of knowledge within your organization in the area of historic tax credits. The webinar will feature Novogratz Company partner Tom Bosha from a Cleveland, Ohio office, and John Tess from Heritage Consulting Group. You can register online at www.novaco.com. Just click on the Events tab. We'll close out today's podcast with some renewable energy tax credit news. 
The IRS issued a notice last week that clarifies the interaction of sequestration, Section 1603 cash grant program, and investment tax credits. More particularly, the notice affects those who have or or are entitled to receive Section 1603 cash grants. The Section 1603 cash grant program, as you'll recall, allowed taxpayers to choose a cash grant in lieu of tax credits for renewable energy projects. However, sequestration reduced Section 1603 payments by 8.7% per project in fiscal year 2013 and by 7.2% per project in fiscal year 2014. As a result, many Section 1603 recipients may have experienced project funding shortfalls and certainly received less funding than they otherwise would have been entitled to. Some have asked Treasury to consider allowing Section 1603 projects affected by sequestration to claim tax credits in that portion of the project for which they were short-funded 1603 payments. The recent notice issued by the IRS clarifies two points. First of all, it confirms that those who have already received their Section 1603 cash grant award are not allowed to claim tax credits on any portion of the same project. However, those who haven't received their Section 1603 cash payments yet can still terminate their application and claim tax credits instead of the cash grant. Secondly, it states that a taxpayer must reduce the basis of the specified energy project by 50% of the amount of the actual Section 1603 payment. This second point is, relatively speaking, good news for grant recipients. It means eligible basis is not reduced by as much as it would have been if the reduction were based on the pre-sequester gross payment. You can find a copy of Notice 2014-39 at www.energytaxcredits.com. And if you have any additional questions about the Section 1603 program, please contact my partner, Stephen Tracy, in our San Francisco office. He can be reached at 415-356-8000. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Next week, I'll share highlights from the Novogratz New Market Tax Credit Spring Conference, including remarks from keynote speaker Bob Ibanez about the next application round. I'll also have an update on the elected House Majority Leader's voting record as it relates to matters of interest to listeners of this podcast. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.